right, good morning, everybody. How you doing today? All right, glad to be here. Amen. All right, why don't you get your Bibles out and uh, open them up uh, with me to uh, the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 23 is where we're going to be this morning, Luke 23. This is a big week. Uh, Christians all over the world are celebrating what we call Holy Week, or uh, some traditions call it Passion Week. Uh, But it is the time when Christians remember Jesus and the life of Christ, especially that last week of Jesus' life. So we remember and some places reenact uh, Jesus coming in uh, to Jerusalem on a donkey and all the celebration. And of course, that last week, uh, of course, Jesus' betrayal, uh, his death, his burial, and then on Easter Sunday, his resurrection from the dead. So this is a big week for us, and Friday is an important day. You know, many times, uh, there's a certain name we have for Friday. Does anybody remember what it's called? That's right, Good Friday. Good Friday. And a lot of people say, well, why is it called Good Friday? I mean, you'd think it would be Bad Friday, not Good Friday. Um, some have speculated that uh, That's actually corruption. It should be God Friday or God's Friday. I don't know about that, but I do know that while 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 that was a bad day for Jesus, it was a good day for us, and that what Jesus accomplished on that day, what Jesus did on that day, helps us be able to get through our worst day. And I'm going to show you what I mean. Well, let's look at 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 Luke 23, and uh, let's just kind of jump in at verse 32. Are you with me? If you're with me, say Amen. Luke 23, verse 32, this is the word of God. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that was called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is a Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There's also also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, you could write over the top of the chapter, Luke 23, you could write over the top of it, the road to the cross, because that's really what the whole chapter is about. It's about the road to the cross. It's about Jesus' suffering. And by the way, this suffering was foretold hundreds of years before it actually took place. In 1947, a young Bedouin boy made the discovery of a lifetime. He was crawling around in some caves and threw a rock into one. He heard something break. He went in and found these clay jars. Uh, 
ended up being uh, actual very old parchments of Scripture. Very old meaning these, these documents are actually a thousand years older than our oldest existing Scripture, uh, scripture documents. I mean, amazing find. Find of the 21st century. And, and so uh, part, there were multiple manuscripts, multiple fragments of multiple books of the Old Testament. But, but there was found a whole copy of the book of Isaiah, which, by the way, is still uh, in Jerusalem uh, at the Shrine of the Book. It's a museum there that you can, you can see it. And so it, it, it's a whole copy of the book of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is important because Isaiah foretold about the coming Messiah probably more than any other prophet. I mean, there's so much in the book of Isaiah forecasting the birth of the Messiah, what the Messiah would do, what he would be like. Uh, even the death of the Messiah is, is talked about in the book of Isaiah, written over 700 years before Jesus was ever born. And this is what Isaiah says. This is what he prophesies will happen to the Messiah. He said in Isaiah 53, these words, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He said that the Messiah, when he comes, is not going to be this great military leader. What he's going to come, he's going to come and suffer. He's going to be called a suffering servant. He's going to be crushed. He's going to be pierced. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be on recognition. He's going to be, uh, he's going to be rejected in every possible way. And so after Isaiah wrote these words, the people began to read these words and, and, and they, they had only one question. Well, how is this going to happen? You know, who is this person? And how is it going to take place? And what, when will this take place? And so there are all these questions revolving around this important piece of prophecy about the Messiah's death. And what you're reading in Luke 23 is actually the fulfillment of what Isaiah wrote 700 years earlier. All the questions, who, when, how, where, all that is being answered in Luke 23. Because there we see Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the suffering servant, and we see him suffer. And Jesus suffered in many ways. He suffered physically. You know, uh, three out of the four gospel writers tell us that Jesus was scourged before he was crucified. Now, scourging was a very violent, a very brutal, uh, a very barbaric punishment. It was so bad that it was actually illegal to scourge a Roman citizen. It was only reserved for the enemies or the slaves of Rome. They would take a man and they would strip him naked in public 
and they would uh, bind up his hands either with chains or with ropes and they would raise him up above his head and affix it to a pole where his back and his buttocks and legs would be exposed and then they would take what they call a flagellum it was like a like a wicked um, cat of nine tails it was short uh, had multiple thongs coming out of it but on the tips were pieces of metal and bone and rock and glass and then they would take turns whipping the subject but it was up close it wasn't like a punishment in a distance it wasn't like you pushed a button and it just happened it was very personal it was very violent and it was very up close and and these instruments these these pieces on the ends were in were designed to dig into the flesh and rip it out to create massive blood loss and massive damage Eusebius, one of the early church fathers, said that, that uh, it was so bad that, that many times people's skeletons were, you know, bones were exposed and their inner organs were exposed. It was so bad that many people died just from the abuse and the blood loss and the violence. And of course, the blood would just splatter everywhere on the, on the men doing the whipping everywhere. It was just everywhere. Jesus was scourged. And then after the scourging, uh, he, Luke tells us that he was led away to the place of execution. They, they put an equivalent of a railroad tie on his raw, bloodied shoulders and back and was forcing him to carry his cross. And he carried it down the road, what has now become the, what they call the Via Dolorosa, the road of suffering. It's actually a place you can go today where you can start at, at Antonio's Fortress and you can begin there and begin to weave your way down this road. There are seven stations of the cross and you can stop at each place and see what happened to Jesus on that way. I remember going there last time I was there and walking down that road, seeing where Jesus was scourged and trying to envision it in my mind. It's very narrow. The roads are very narrow. Uh, the buildings are very high. And so people, as was in the morning, people were just figuring out what was happening and crowds were coming out, I'm sure, to see this. Some were mourning, some were mocking, some were screaming, some were in shock. How could this possibly be? And there is Jesus carrying his cross, something maybe only the cross beam. Others say, no, the whole cross, we're really honestly unsure. But he carried his cross down that road, dropping blood all along the way. When he finally came to the place of execution, it has a name. Luke tells us it is the name Golgotha, which literally means the place of the skull. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, a man uh, discovered a, a formation of a hill that's outside the old city of Jerusalem and thought maybe this is the place. And, and it does actually look like it. It, it has natural caves that seemed to create a form, a likeness of two eyes and a nose. And, and so you can kind of make out the, uh, a resemblance of a skull. If you go to Israel today, you can stand or sit in this kind of um, bleacher type structure and you can look at it. And that area that you sit in is very quiet. It's very serene. It's very reflective, reverent. But Golgotha was anything but those things. It was not anything like that. 
It was a torture chamber. It was awful. I mean, some, some, some scholars think that it was actually uh, in part landfill because they would torture these men to their death and then drag their lifeless bodies and throw them in mass graves. And so, you ever been in a landfill? Just the, the stifling, the air doesn't move, it flies around, the stench of death. This is, what, this is what Golgotha was like. This is where they took Jesus. And, and Luke just says very simply, they crucified him there. But that doesn't really give us the picture Crucifixion in Roman days was particularly brutal and grotesque. It was really designed by the Romans to um, exert the greatest amount of pain and sustain it the longest period of time before the person finally died. They would take him and they would throw him on his back. They would take railroad spikes and dry them into his hands and literally nail him to the piece of wood. They would take the spike and drive it one foot over the other through there, through the heel bone and into the wood. Then they would raise him up, drop that cross down in a hole in the ground and the reverberation of that would just send shock through the whole system. It was... It was emotionally, it was physically horrific. And it was so bad that, that they couldn't even come up with a name. There was, there was a word to describe how painful it was. And so they had to create a word. And the word excruciating literally means from the cross. And Jesus suffered there. He suffered physically more than you and I could possibly imagine. If you've seen The Passion of the Christ, if you've seen that movie, it really begins to depict some of the scourging of Jesus and the suffering of Jesus and, and the crucifixion of Jesus. And I can remember seeing it for the first time, and I, and I just had to close my eyes. At times, I just had to turn away because it, I didn't want to see that. Jesus suffered physically. He also suffered emotionally. I mean, look at it again. Just look at verse 35 just real quickly. You'll see it there. It says, and the people just stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, if he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him. Coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. I mean, there was this mocking. There was this, this heckling. I mean, not only was he suffering, but there was absolutely no comfort. No acknowledgement that he was worth anything. He was exposed and he was demeaned and he was rejected and he was mocked and he was made fun of and he was laughed at while he died. In fact, I think the, the soldiers put the whole placard over his top of his head just to have some entertainment because that's all they did all day. Just kind of the monotony of killing men just became something they were desensitized to. They had to have some fun. So they would put a little placard over his head that says, King of the Jews, like, this is what we're going to do. This is, guy's your king. This is what we do to your king. Let's have some fun. Let's, let's, let's roll the dice for his garments. Let's poke some fun. Let's take bets on how long he'll live. See if he'll cry. He suffered emotionally. But I don't think that even comes close to the spiritual suffering 
that Jesus endured. We, we, know, we can understand somewhat of the physical suffering, but we really can't fully grasp the spiritual suffering of Jesus because in that moment, he absorbed all of our sin. 2 Corinthians said, he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, all the prophets foresaw that on the cross, Jesus became the greatest murderer, adulterer, thief, rebel, and blasphemer that ever was. I don't know that I can fully understand it, but I kind of envision in my mind that as Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's suffering so greatly that through his mind comes every thought from hell, every demonic activity, every, every sin, every perversion, everything that has ever done wrong that, that has been committed by men and people like you and like me, even our sin flooded through the mind of Jesus as he became sin for us. And he felt the distance of his father as the wrath of God was poured out. He suffered the wrath of hell for us on that cross. Listen, Jesus suffered. And the big question is why? Why, why, did, why did he have to be crushed? Why did he have to be pierced? Why, why did he have to be abused like that? And there are really two reasons. And if you're not a Christian, you need to really understand why do Christians revere the cross and why do we wear crosses and why do we sing songs about the cross and why is that so important to Christians? Well, here's why. Because on that cross, Jesus was doing two things. The first thing is this. Jesus was expressing how much he loves you on the cross. See, the Bible says God demonstrated his love toward us in this. You know, think about it. How does a guy demonstrate his love for his wife, right, or his, his girlfriend, right? He would uh, probably buy her some flowers. Guys, take, take note of this. Buy some flowers or maybe take her out to a nice dinner, you know, or take her to a movie. Or, you know, if he, if maybe he would sing a song to her. Some guys don't need to be singing at all, right? Uh, maybe write a poem, and, and this is how he expresses his love. This is how much I love you. Look, I do all this stuff for you. How does God show us his love for us? He sent Jesus. God demonstrated his love to us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were running from God, when we didn't care, when we were wayward, when we were not thinking about him, he was thinking about us. When we were rejecting him, he was moving toward us. When we were... When we were denying him, he was embracing our sin and dying in our place. That's, that's love. That's love. That's the greatest love that a man would lay down his life for his friends, even his enemies. You see, on the cross, justice happened. If somebody commits murder, they commit rape, and there's no justice, if they're not punished, there's an outcry, right? And, should, and rightly so, there's an outcry. Because that, 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 that sin, that criminal act deserves some kind of punishment. That's justice, right? Well, the same is true with us. Our sin against God deserves justice and punishment. And on the cross, Jesus was being punished for what you have done. And what I've done, it's our sin that put him there. It's our sin that caused him to suffer. And he suffered because he loves you. 
I remember when I first heard the gospel, I remember where I was. I remember I was seven years old for the first time. I, probably, I mean, I'm sure I'd heard the gospel many times, but this was the day that it came clear to me. And I can remember the preacher. He was doing kind of like what I'm doing right now. He's just preaching the gospel. I probably was goofing around most of the time, uh, quite honestly. But that day, God got my attention. And he said, God loved you when he sent Jesus to the cross. And the thought came into my mind for the first time, if he loved me that much, then I want to love him back. He loves you that much. But there's another reason why Jesus suffered. And this one may be a reason that you forget. So I want to remind you. He suffered to give you hope in your suffering. He suffered to give you hope in your suffering. Hebrews chapter 12 uh, puts it this way. It says, uh, talking about Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy that was to come on the other side of the cross, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And then it says in verse 3, these words, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. He said there's something about looking at the suffering of Jesus that gives us courage to face our own suffering. Something about the, the suffering of Jesus and the death of Jesus that gives us hope that, that, that even though we suffer, that it's not forever and it's not alone and, and that we can overcome even our own suffering. You say, well, how does that work exactly? How does the suffering of Jesus help me in my suffering? Well, here's what you got to understand. Your suffering, and by the way, all of us suffer. Would you agree with that? Every one of us suffer to some degree, some more than others for sure. But your suffering is going to take you somewhere, right? It's going to take you somewhere. Your suffering is either one or two places. It's, gonna, it's going to drive you further away from God, or it's going to draw you closer to God. And I've seen people endure the same suffering, one driven away and one draws close. And you've probably seen that too. There's some that it will just become angry and resentful and drift away and others that will draw close to the Lord. And really we see that happening at the cross because Jesus was being crucified, but there were two being crucified right next to him, right? There were two criminals on either side. The word criminal seems to indicate maybe an insurrectionist of some kind. We like, to, we like to think of them as thieves. We're really not sure. But they're being crucified at the same time. They're suffering similar to what Jesus is suffering. And they're very similar in, in, together. They're, they're, they're both committed crimes. They're both dying on the cross. They're both suffering greatly. They both are close to Jesus. They both know who Jesus is. They've heard Jesus pray, Father, forgive them. They hear the, the mocking toward Jesus. So they are aware that he claims to be the Christ. And yet they have two different, completely different responses to their own suffering and to Jesus. One responds in anger. He looks at him and says, hey, if you're the Christ, then why don't you save yourself and us? I mean, you know, you can sense the anger in him. I mean, people say that all the time today. Man, if, if God's really God, then why does he allow, you know, people to get shot up in drive-by shooting? Why does he allow terrorism to happen? Why does he allow cancer to happen to children? Why did he, why did he allow my, my grandmother to die that way? Or why am I having to endure this suffering that I'm going through? Why do I have to go through that? If God's really God, then why did he do something? Why did he do something for me? I mean, you can you feel that. 
when you talk to people that are hurting. This man didn't show any remorse for his life, remorse for his choices, uh, no acknowledgement of Christ other than maybe a way to get out of his own situation. If Jesus wasn't going to help him, then forget him. And there's some people like that, that they have so much anger toward abuse that they had or situations or disappointment or things that have hurt them that they can't, they just, it just turns another turn every day into greater anger and greater resentment. And they drift further and further and further. This man never had Jesus speak to him. He was that close. But Jesus never speaks to him. Heaven is silent to him. But then there's another man on the other side, and he's been crucified as well. And, and yet, you know, when he sees what's happening, instead of reacting in anger, he, he cries out. In fact, I love how he kind of, he's having a conversation kind of across Jesus to this other guy. They obviously know each other, right? And he's like, hey, don't you even fear God? Man, we're, we deserve what we're getting here. We deserve what we're getting this man has done nothing wrong. And then he just turns to Jesus. And, and you don't see this long, drawn-out confession. All you see is this simple cry for help. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, I, I, I know. That I'm, he didn't even ask to be relieved from his suffering. He just said, remember me. Have mercy on me. Forgive me. And this man... Uh, don't miss this. This man experiences Jesus turning his face toward him. Jesus addresses him personally. Jesus is entering into his pain and entering into his suffering in that moment. And Jesus gives him this beautiful promise that, listen, today you're going to be with me. Today we're going to get through this. And you're going to be with me in paradise. And he not only experienced the comfort of Jesus and the presence of Jesus, but the promise that he will make in heaven all things new. Louis Zamperini uh, was a, an Olympian and uh, was a bombardier in World War II. His plane was shot down over the Pacific and for 47 days, he and his crew drifted on a raft in the ocean, in shark-infested waters, no food, no water. Several of them died. By the time Louis was pulled out of the water, he was all but dead. He was a skeleton of a man on the verge of death. Unfortunately, he was not saved by uh, American forces. He was pulled out of the water by Japanese forces, and he was put into a prison camp. And there he suffered greatly for three years. Three years. And the problem was that there was this one captain of the camp that took a special interest in Louis to inflict the greatest amount of suffering on him. Why he picked him out, I don't know. Nobody knows. But he just decided to pick Louis out and make him suffer. And he would beat him mercilessly and starve him and degrade him and inflict pain on him and when people heard his screams through the camp night after night day after day month after month year after year for three years 
And there were, there were times when Louis thought he would just be killed. He saw many of his uh, comrades in the camp executed. He knew any moment he would die. But by the grace of God, the war ended. Louis was freed, and he woke up one day back in Los Angeles. But he was different. I mean, he was wounded, not just physically, but emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. He, he was just filled with rage. And just these nightmares would come at night. He couldn't stop them. He couldn't stop them. He just had so much internal rage and resentment and pain that all he could do was drink. To, that was the only time when he was drunk he was at peace. And so he became a raging alcoholic. Finally, his wife had enough with it. She said, I can't live with you. I mean, I cannot live with you anymore. I'm gone. And she, he begged her to, to not abandon him. And she said, listen, the only way I will stay with you is if you go with me to hear this preacher that's set up a tent outside Los Angeles. He said, I'll do anything. So she took him to a Billy Graham crusade in L.A., this young, skinny preacher. And, and Louis was quite offended by his message. I mean, he talked about that we're sinners and we need God and, and we need forgiveness. He was like, I don't need forgiveness. They need forgiveness for what they did to me. And he was just, the, again, the rage would just come up in waves. Finally, he stormed out. He didn't want to have any part of it. And she stormed out after him. And she said, if you don't, if you leave, I'm gone. So the next day he went back. But this day was different. As Billy began to read the scriptures, God began to penetrate that hard, hard heart of Louis. He said, I remember as I was hearing the gospel, he said, I remember I had flashbacks to when I was on that life raft floating in the ocean and we were starving to death. And he said, I remember praying, Lord, if you will save me, if you will get me out of this, I will serve you. And he said, here I am. <laughs> I'm alive. Who would have thought? I mean, I, I, he saved me out of 47 days on the water, and he saved me through the camp, and I'm, I'm still alive, more so than a lot of my friends. And, and then he said, hey, I remember being in the camp and looking up through the, the sky and seeing the, seeing the stars and how beautiful they were in such great contrast to the evil I was suffering, and I knew there was a God that he was with me. And he said, in that moment, I suddenly became aware of how dark my heart was and how hard it was and, and, and my rage and my anger and my own sin. And I wasn't pointing the finger at anybody else anymore. And he said, I knew in that moment I had to have Jesus. I needed a Savior. And he went forward that day and he asked Christ to come into his life and forgive him. And he became a different person. He said, it was like the, the rage just just drained out of me like, like air out of a balloon. And he said the, the nightmares went away and I, I got off the alcohol and I, I began to walk with joy in my life again for the first time, maybe in my whole life. About 10 years later, he went back to Japan and actually went to a prison where he confronted many of the guards that had persecuted him there and he forgave them. And he told them about Jesus and how Jesus had forgiven him. But that he looked for that one captain, you know, the guy that was so fiercely focused on Louis, who hurt him so badly, who broke him so deeply. But that man was nowhere to be found. So he wrote him a letter. 
And this is a letter that Louis wrote to this captain. As a result of my prisoner of war experience under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. It was not so much due to the pain and suffering as it was the tension of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate with a vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights, not only as a prisoner of war, but also as a human being were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live until the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble. But thanks to a confrontation with God through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. Love has replaced the hate I have for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan in 1952 and was graciously, graciously allowed to address all the Japanese war criminals at Sugamo Prison. I asked then about you and was told that you probably had committed Harry Carey, which I was sad to hear. At that moment, like the others, I also forgave you and now would hope that you would also become a Christian. Listen, only Jesus can give you hope in your suffering. Some of you are suffering greatly. I know this because I read your prayer requests and we pray for you. I know this because I talked to many of you during the week. Some of you are suffering tremendous loss and loneliness and grief and mourning and Christmas and Easter's are hard. Some of you are suffering because you haven't had a job in months and you're beginning to lose hope. Some of you are suffering because of brokenness in your own family and waywardness that you can't fix. Some of you are suffering because you're battling with physical problems that don't seem to ever get better. You're dealing with addictions that you can't shake. You're dealing with pain from your past that keep playing over and over in your mind like a, like a bad video. But here's what I know, only Jesus can give you hope in your suffering. Your suffering will either drive you away from the Lord or it will drive you to him. And that is your decision. But Jesus died so you could find hope and peace in him. 